Warning. Sheeple are obedient, Borg-like, mindless automatons who all listen to the same top 40 music, and they all believe the same mainstream narratives pushing free thinkers out. These masses are unable to accept the truth, and they get intensely angry if you try to state it. We are on the road to sheepocracy, a sheeptopia, ruled by the sheep. Our national anthem is going to be a top-charting pop song. It'll change every week based on what the charts are showing. They're trying to make it illegal to read a headline without also having to read the article. Yeah, are you going to point a gun at me, make me read the whole article? Sometimes you just get an impression from the headline alone, and that's okay. It can't be illegal. It's an unreasonable, ever-spiraling requirement to have to read basically everything, given how headlines are shoved in our face these days. On top of working 40 hours a week, trying to have my own hobbies, the things I enjoy, they're going to also force me to read studies? No. It's 1984. I would have said Brave New World, but yeah, both. Fahrenheit 451. You know, it's so chaotic. It's pure anarchy, but it's so totalitarian. It's pure communism. It's like an anarchist communism. And the sheeple just swallow it all, whatever they're fed. Gulping it like a newborn baby getting milk. From mommy government. Baby-like interesting, fresh to the world. The sheeple. I'm wrong, you're wrong, seriously wrong. I'm wrong. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. I am Sean. I'm Aaron. We do an independent research podcast. You know, I'm sort of the free independent thinker, look under every stone investigator. And I'm more of the mindless drone, goes along with the crowd, believes whatever the most other people believe, and whatever I hear on the mainstream news. I've seen Aaron take out a real tally pad and start recording what he sees other people thinking to figure out what the most people think on a given subject and then just going straight with that without reasoning through it. I don't really work that way, but I respect that he follows through his position with integrity. And there's sort of an interesting dynamic that comes in the show from having that. If it was just two free-thinking radicals or two brainwashed conformists, I think the show wouldn't have that dynamic back-and-forth magic that can only really come from the dialectic between these two positions. So I'm grateful that we're different in this way. Yeah, me too. You know, I came into the show thinking, you know, mindless, homogenous, drone, no thanks. But actually, over the years, it's like, wow, the Borg has a great point there. Yeah, it's really about learning to see that we're all part of something bigger together. Thank you to everyone who donates to the show. Thank you to everyone who will in the future, when you're able, if you can, if you want to. It's massively appreciated. Yeah, it helps us keep making the show, keep food on our plates, electricity in the walls, and all that good stuff. So, Aaron, are you ready to expose the lies, put on the They Live glasses, take the red pill, plug out of the Matrix? No, but I am down to do the opposite of all those things. Aaron! <laughs> uh, I know, it's just how we are. We're different that is, like that. Uh, yeah. But it works, it works. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by the mainstream agenda of the elites. We march in lockstep along with them so that all the people listening will march in lockstep along with us. When a free thinker is marching out of lockstep, that has to be suppressed. Yeah, if you imagine 
an army. They're marching into war in lockstep. And then imagine one of the soldiers starts marching sideways, completely different from all the other soldiers. Uh-oh. People would trip and that can sink the whole battle. Army generals can't have that. Where's Anderson? Anderson, where are you? We need you. Ah, God, God. And he's like being killed by the brutal and unrepentant enemy because he didn't have the backup had signed up at the mall with the army recruiter because he marched the wrong direction. And that's why we believe the things that our mainstream overlords tell us to believe. The beautiful thing about it is it completely ensures by limiting people's access to information that the laws of our society are written by our corporate overlords and warring factions of aristocrats, just like we all prefer. It's a beautiful thing that is the sponsor of this show. Now back to our show. So to the type of person who uses the word sheeple, there's this assumption that like people listen to popular music because they are somehow enslaved <laughs> mentally. Yeah, because you're conformist and not a deep, righteous thinker like me. It's interesting the way that gets applied to what music you're listening to or any other kind of media, whatever it happens to be, but also gets applied to political topics. Like, you just believe this thing, you just disagree with me because it's mainstream and people are these conformist sheep. And it's really sad because that's how humans are. Not me, like I'm a independent thinker, but most people brainwashed by the powers that be, the companies making the crappy music to shove down our throats, the secret cabals activities. Thinking of other people in terms of them being sheeple, it assigns a hypnotic quality to what's ultimately, I think, people's organic free will. I mean, and people's free will is limited by a variety of things in our society. People aren't aware of all the options they have in a lot of circumstances. For example, that lack of awareness, it limits their agency. But like, it's not that people watch an ad for a product and then they're immediately hypnotized by it. Powerful people can help stimmy or distort the flow of information in society. You know, we live under regimes of types of information control by default. Politicians do lie to cover up their hidden agendas of various kinds. Big companies do make mass-produced music that is not always necessarily the most creative music in the world. Like we can look at the example of popular music as a microcosm of the same principles that lead to this in the political realm. But like for some people, music isn't that deep. They're not trying to like find the deep cuts. They're not trying to find music that truly reflects who they are and who they want to be and something that they can carry like a totem of their own identity. Not that it's not valid to do that. I think I kind of do that a little bit. But like for some people, music isn't that deep. You turn on the radio, you turn on the music video channel and receive the music. This is as good as music gets. You know, this, they, they selected it for quality and then they shared it with me. And if you don't listen to music very often, you don't need like fancy chord progressions and things. You, know, you just like to go out dancing sometimes or it's background stuff here. And that like it's a different level of consumption. It's not necessarily that you've been tricked into not understanding how bad the music you like is. And we live in a society that places a lot of like limits on people's lives, a lot of limits on people's individual freedoms. If you're working more than 40 hours a week to pay your rent and put food on the table, it's a big ask to then ask that people get a deep understanding of musical theory and start appreciating music based on characteristics other than just hearing it repeated a bunch of times. If you listen to any song three or four or five times, it starts to sound better. And if you give yourself permission to like it, you'll probably like it no matter what it is. So the radio is a fine music experience on that low level, if, if that's what you're looking for. The misanthropy of the term sheeple in that context 
living under a degrading society that forces many, many people to do long hours for too little pay, no guarantee of the access to things that make for a good life. It bothers me the attitude behind the word sheeple, as if you're dealing with the Borg, as if you're dealing with people who are contemptible because they haven't done the same research that you've done. It can be a corrosive thing that brings out negative things about ourselves because it doesn't reflect an understanding, a theory of mind, and the people around us in our day-to-day life that I think is really a precondition for appreciating and caring about strangers and sort of understanding what makes people tick. I think it comes from like a lot of hopelessness and frustration on people's parts that they're not being listened to or that other people aren't like doing what they think is right. Having an uncommon perspective on anything, there's a kind of difficulty to that. And like there are some fields like politics where like almost any particular position is relatively uncommon because there's so many different ones. But like the poor theory of mind thing, I think is super crucial and it like becomes way more important in the political realm. Like if you think the reason people like popular music is because they're brainwashed Borg drone sheeple, it's kind of shitty but it's not that important. But like when you start believing that the main reason people disagree with you politically is just because they're brainwashed, you're not going to be able to communicate with or understand other people at all. I don't encounter this as much from a conspiracy theorist sheeple perspective, but I experience it dealing with people who are like less politically interested and less politically engaged than I have been. And I think it's a really similar principle, which is like in order to communicate effectively across an information gap like that, an interest gap, a focus gap, it doesn't speak to either of our capacity. Like, for example, the sports ball thing of looking down on people who watch sports and are interested in sports, it fits loosely into the sheeple perspective in a broad cultural sense. But you talk to these people and they have like encyclopedic knowledge of like years where teams won and so and so was traded here and there and stuff. Yeah, they're thinking about tactics and like all kinds of shit I would never think about. There's layers to it. I think what's important is to recognize that the information gap between them and their peers around their areas of interest and study isn't reflective of like an intellectual failing on the parts of other people. Like they're quite literally focused on other things and they're probably focused on other things with almost as high or higher intellectual integrity and cohesion and so on. You know, like the things that you would value them to bring into your sphere of interest, they're probably already demonstrating in some other sphere of interest, Probably the sphere of interest that relates to their job and relates to their social circles, relates to their familial culture and obligations and so on. Having an idea or a view of something that isn't widely shared, there's a part of you that just has to like explain why. (laughs) And if you're not thinking about it as you're putting it in terms of differing interests, different time investments, that kind of thing. To be like, oh, well, everyone else must just be brainwashed or dumb or whatever the thing is. It's understandable why that comes out in a lot of different contexts, like whether people use the word sheeple or not. So, yeah, it's good to have a better explanation. I think the conspiracy community shows some pretty blatant examples of how this can be a negative thing, but it's something that, like, no political or intellectual community I'm aware of, whether it's within politics or within culture, is not at least partially guilty of to some degree sometimes. I mean, like forgetting that other people are focused on other things and that your own values and perspectives aren't universal, but are rather like contingent. I think it's something that we could all do a little better on. (laughs) 
And now it's time for the Science of Sheeple. Today on Science of Sheeple, taking a look at an article here from naturalnews.com, 2012, says, headline, study proves 95% of people really are sheeple. Well, that's got my ears breaking up. 95% of people are proven to be sheeple, proven to be mindless, homogenous drones. Tell me more. Now, it's important to note that if you scroll down to the bottom of the Natural News article and click the link, the press release from Leeds University that they're referencing has been taken offline. I'm guessing potentially because it was being misused in this Natural News article, but you can find it on archive.is and you can also, a lot of the content is copied into the natural news article itself because they don't care that the content of the study doesn't prove what the headline says, it doesn't really matter. A group of volunteers are told to walk randomly around a large hall. 5% were given instructions on where to walk and the participants were not allowed to communicate with one another. They found that when the people who were told where to walk started walking in that direction, other people started following them. Ah, natural mindless followers, Lady Gaga listeners, big fans of Tom Hanks. The headline implies that like 95% of people go along and 5% of people don't. But this study, if it was proving what they thought it would prove, would actually prove that 100% of people are sheeple because everybody in the other 95% went along with the group and started following the people who seemed to have an idea of the direction they wanted to go. But it's like if you're told to walk randomly around a large hall and then some other people seem to know where they were going, taking those kind of cues isn't the same thing as mindlessly like why don't you just walk off in a different direction from everybody else no the true free thinker would zig and zag and go back follow the crowd sometimes leave the crowds stop moving altogether. when they said walk randomly around this room he'd say why why should i walk randomly around this room authority figure this study already pre-selected for mindless homogenous drones they're like okay we're gonna have you in a study when you're walking around in a room and none of them were like why and then like you could just imagine the testers, like the shattering glass sound. They're like, oh my God, so much free thought. Get them out of here. And it's like, it's literally a study about pedestrian flow and like behavior change, like that kind of shit. It's not about like 95% of people are sheeple. It is funny to note the National News article, when copying and pasting from the press release, copied the sentence, the findings in all cases revealed that the individuals were followed by the others in the crowd forming a self-organizing snake-like structure. And then Natural News added in brackets, or a flock of sheep, take your pick. <laughs> I just noticed the little discrepancy there just now. And just to defend the people in this experiment, when it comes to pedestrian flow, there's not that much options when it comes to free thought. There isn't the infinite options of something like politics or interest in culture, you know? It's a very finite amount of options. And like the reason that people start moving in the same direction and kind of like self-organize around where the agency is within the crowd, it's a beneficial thing in most instances. Like it's a sign of complex intelligence. And it's notable that everyone did it. And then the natural news is selling this like, 95% of people go with the flow, but you, my dear genius, my advertising clicker, my grift target, you are a genius. You would be one of the people who is given directions. Directed, yeah. <laughs> 
and that's actually kind of true because a lot of the conspiracy sphere is directed from organized groups that have various agendas, whether that's to increase the price of certain stocks, sell supplements, or push a political agenda. Yes, I'm one of the 5% who's receiving directions from the overlords on how to mislead the masses. I'm not part of the 95% Lady Gaga listening Tom Hanks fans. So that's the science that proves people are sheeple. Yeah, the st study that shows that people will, all other things being equal, follow what the majority of other people are doing around them if it seems harmless in a extremely alienated context. It's really startling proof of the inherent nature of specifically 95% of people. And that's all for this episode of Sheeple Science. And now back to our show. We're at war. War with the decentralized conspiracy of false conspiracies distracting us from the real conspiracy, which happens in public. We're at war with the abuses of power and wanton cruelty of stratified society. And we're at war with people who don't have the documents. I'm Felix Bones, and this is Narrative Wars, because there's a war on for your story. Okay, folks, this episode of Narrative Wars is brought to you by Sheep Brain Nootropic Pills. It is well known by patriots that sheep are the Albert Einstein of the animal kingdom. These pills will turn you into an infinite IQ genius. They will give you further expressions of your own personality. If you're a mother, you'll love your own children even more. These will grow your IQ to levels so high that you will have infinite love in your heart and you will be able to take on the real bad guys who make things bad for everybody. Sheep Brain Nootropic Pills. Separate the true from the false with Sheep Brain. All right, folks, we have got with us here a sheep scientist. Pleasure to have you here, sir. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Felix. I've always said sheep should have every right as humans to be scientists, and you are a living example of that. Well, thank you. I'm actually a human. I'm not a sheep. Oh. I'm just a scientist who studies sheep. I take it as a compliment. Oh, sorry. The wool coat threw me off. It's beautiful. Looks like it's still alive. Sorry, didn't mean to pull the wool over your eyes with that one. Oh. Uh, little sheep humor. I would be thrilled to have more wool covering more of my vision more of the time. Please, go on. There's this mythos out there that sheep are mindless followers. They'll do whatever anyone else in the flock said. A bit dull. A, exactly. A bit dull compared to animals like primates and dogs that people readily accept are very intelligent animals. And the data just doesn't bear it out that sheep are, to use a newfangled colloquial term, the brainlets of the animal community. Sheep actually have excellent general memory and learning abilities. They're able to learn basic tasks in as few as two trials. They perform well on visual discrimination tasks. They're competent at spatial navigation, capable of learning to remember how to get through a fairly complex maze. Now, we've had these documents for years. Now, this is suppressed by big meat, obviously. Big meat trying to clamp down on our show for a long time. The meat industry does not want people to know this. They want people to go along mindlessly eating sheep. What they don't want you to know is sheep have complex facial recognition abilities. They're very good at interpreting the emotions on the faces of other sheep, and they can remember the faces of other sheep for years. And they can even discriminate between human faces, even when those faces are shown to them at different orientations, so like sideways or whatever. So wait, now you're telling me that these beautiful, thoughtful creatures, not only like most animals can learn and recognize their own names, which 
think about it. It's got a sense of self in that. That's pretty advanced cognition in itself. But then on top of that, they can also recognize faces. They experience complex emotions and have personalities in themselves. Absolutely. Where's the mainstream media? I don't know. Where is the mainstream media telling people that of the various personality traits looked at in sheep, there's the best evidence that they have a shyness, boldness axis that they remain consistent on over the years. But also other things like reactivity, activity level, calmness, anxiety. These are individual things that are part of who the individual sheep are. They're not just part of the crowd. They're each a person. They're each their own individual little sheeple, you know? It's not pejorative, should not be a pejorative. Why is it that we separate a baby lamb from its mother? What kind of sick society does that, you know? I don't know. We can see the pain in their eyes and the psychological distress that it causes them and do it anyway. As young as 12 hours old, sheep can identify their mothers through sight and sound. They love their mothers just like anyone else would. These brutes, they're the opposite of sheep. Sheep are noble. These people, they're like a virus. They're like a literal sulfuric demon, actually, if anything. often said that. They use media predictive programming to make people not empathize with animals who have inner complex lives. You know, it's total propaganda. And you're not going to see this on the mainstream news. I mean, look it up. Before we go to the break, do you have any pyramid schemes or flim flams you want to throw on our uh, supply brained audience? Well, now that you mention it, my book comes with reduced cost access to an online course that can actually train you to unlock your inner sheep. Now, I understand that you have these sheep brain pills, and those are good for the brain, but I'm talking about the full embodied sheep experience, the emotions, the facial recognition, the growing of wool. With hard work, introspection, meditation, and very closely following the directions in my increasingly expensive tiered course to get to the full state to become the sheep that you've always dreamed of, the sheep that you've always wished you could have been but thought wasn't possible. I'm here to say it is. You know, it sounds like an incredible program. One thing I like to do is just bah for the power of it, you know, just get out a a big, triumphant, social, empathetic and uh, complex thought bearing bar, you know, bar, you know, I try to <clears throat> bar. Sorry, I feel I usually do it in private. That's one of the first steps in my process, which shows that you just kind of intuitively already started down the same path. I think you would take very well, very, very well, Felix, if I might say, just you seem sheep like already. Well, thank you. That's a beautiful thing to say to a host. After the break, sheep in wolves' clothing. If they act like a wolf, they're going to harm us. Let's get that costume off of them. After the break. When do you think you first heard the term sheeple? Probably like 2010, I want to say. It came into my awareness in a big way when I started participating in online politics. And like I kind of had come at it from a somewhat conspiracy trajectory. So I was like pretty embedded in a lot of these communities where things being venerated simply because there are alternative narratives that go against the mainstream was relatively normal. And I think like my first perception of the word sheeple at that time was that it was kind of cringe. Similarly, like early on in my political development during the Obama era, I saw a sticker telling me to watch an Alex Jones documentary and I watched it and I was like, from the start, it just seemed like too fantastical. But I was like, I kind of want to know for sure this isn't true. And it's 
part of what got me on a path towards discovering Noam Chomsky and other more positive influences than Alex Jones. So in that sphere, like I'm not sure if Alex Jones himself used it or people around him. But yeah, cringe wasn't the terminology that we'd use at the time, but that was definitely my vibe of it too. And this is when I started to become aware of scientific, quote unquote, arguments for the idea that people are sheeple too. I don't think I ever thought that like people were sheeple, but I thought that people needed to be waked up, maybe. I also felt there was a political need to like wake people up and that I had experienced becoming interested in politics that I had woken up in a sense, like that metaphor carried resonance for me, even though sheeple was always sort of like a embarrassing association. I like waking up better because everyone wakes up <laughs> thinking that people need to wake up. Like if they're just asleep, you just need to shake them. If they are a sheeple, if there's something wrong with humans' brains where they're just are conformist, that's a lot different from someone needing to be woken up. And now it's time for the science of sheeple. This episode is about the Ash Conformity Experiments, a series of studies directed by Solomon Ash in the 1950s. The basic setup is you have the mark, as it was, or the test subject. Everyone else in the group is in on the experiment. They're showed two cards. One shows a single line. The second one shows three lines, A, B, and C. And subjects are asked which line is the same length as the one on the other card. Then all the plants give incorrect answers. They'll say, oh, it's C, it's C, it's C, even though it's actually B. The test is to see whether this one individual will stand up to the group and say what's actually true or whether they'll go along with the group. And they repeat this with the same people over and over again. So overall, across all the studies, the majority of the participant responses remained correct. So 63% of the overall responses were people saying, no, it's actually this one. Wait, so I've heard people talk about this experiment before. And the impression I got was that people always went with the crowd. <laughs> but you're telling me more than half the crowd just didn't go with the crowd. The number that gets promoted with this study often is the idea that 75% of people go along with the crowd. But what that actual number is, is that 75% of people gave at least one incorrect answer in the repetitions of this thing. Each person went through this process 18 times. So like maybe the first couple times you go along with the group thinking something's weird. And then after a while, you're like, you just start saying the real one or something. So overall, like responses, 63% were correct. So only, only, th <laughs> only three out of four will doubt their own perceptions because of a crowd. <laughs> At least 120th of the time. Yeah, it's 25% of people were consistent and never, ever doubted themselves and just said the correct answer the whole time. And only 5% of people, like if you want to get real sheeple on this, only 5% of people always went along with the crowd and said the incorrect thing every time. I'd have to do some more math, but I wonder how many of those 63% of responses are from that 5%. And then there's variations on this study too. They keep doing more of them as time goes on. There's some interesting variables here. So if you have the presence of a true partner, like another, if there's two real participants in the group, or there's another actor that was told to give the correct response, 
only 5% will ever give an incorrect answer in that situation rather than 75% doubting it at least once. If one brave patriot breaks their silence against the New World Order programming, there's reason to think that (laughs) other people will follow. Exactly. You know, as long as there's one non-sheeple. Or like alternatively, you could say, if you're trying to be that true partner, the one person giving the correct response and you're not experiencing most people starting to agree with you after a while, maybe you're just the wrong one. And like, (laughs) it's not that everyone else is a sheeple. I think it may be good to say explicitly, like we've been using a very understanding frame in saying people doubting their own experiences. Like that's what this is a a record of is like what percentage of people will trust other people. There could be people who see that it's different and then think that they're wrong and think other people are smarter than them and think that other people are better at interpreting this. So they're going to follow them. Maybe they're people who like can't see very well or otherwise can't interpret the question. Like there's a bunch of variables within that five percent that always does it and like i don't know i just sympathize with someone who feels like they're gonna go with other people's perceptions on some minor issue like the length of lines if they are worried that they're wrong there's a whole group of people in this room and everyone else says no these two are the same like even though you know you're in an experiment or whatever like i don't think it's like some horrible conformist sheeple terrible thing about people that sometimes people would be a bit circumspect in that situation and be like hey maybe everyone else is right and i'm wrong sure like going along with it every single time it's the minority only five percent of people did that but like the 75 percent who did that at least once that's not like a bad kind of conformity to seriously consider the idea that like if everyone else thinks something they might just be right and maybe you're the one who's wrong That's just a healthy way to see the world, in my opinion. The small handful of people who are always going with the crowd, I feel like the defining feature there isn't brainwashing or being a mindless robot or something like that, but the opposite. It's like an anxious thing or like a self-doubt type thing more than anything. Yeah, that too. Like looking around and seeing like everyone saying something else and then being like, I don't want to be the person who, like people not having enough (laughs) self-confidence is a social problem that I think is actually like, it could be what this study is really showing. People's self-confidence about their own perceptions, but you never hear about it talked that way. And that was another episode of Sheeple Science. Thanks for tuning in. So despite the fact that I don't really like the sheeple framing, how it sets the person up as like, I'm the dispenser of truth above all these idiotic masses, I have to nevertheless admit that things get swept up in the sheeple critique that are real problems in society and that humans' tendency towards conformity sometimes can have adverse effects, especially in the way that it interacts with powerful institutions. Like if you think about how the state uses schooling to indoctrinate kids into like nationalistic views about their own history or these white-centric narratives that cast the history in a particular light that's beneficial to institutions in power at the time. And that kind of indoctrination 
in schooling has massive negative effects on people's ability to interpret history and reality. The lack of class consciousness in the public in general. Some Marxists have called it false consciousness. That could be a type of thing that is somewhat similar in form to the sheeple critique. You could talk about advertising and the way products are pushed on people and like Noam Chomsky manufacturing consent, all this kind of stuff. I want to make some space to say like the sheeple critics aren't talking about nothing. Yeah, or at the very least, it's possible to listen to what they're saying and hear something that's true. Yeah. Depending on the individual leveraging this critique of sheeples, they might literally be talking about something that's nothing in practice, but using the exact language that could be used to describe something real. The history of humanity shares a clear trend of conformity towards adverse norms immoral, dangerous, horrible things treated as normal. An obvious example is the institution of slavery, or an example from our day-to-day -day lives is the institution of patriarchy and women being treated as second-class citizens in society. You know, there's tons of well-meaning people who, for whatever reason, find ways to justify these things that happen around us, the factory farming of animals or whatever, because challenging it or thinking too much about challenging it is a burdensome task. Humanity clearly has that capacity to have conformity towards adverse norms. And you can see that through the history of slavery, you know, leading up to the Haitian Revolution, as we've covered in previous episodes, the leading French anti-slavery organizations of the French revolutionaries wanted to buy the slaves. They didn't even dream of freeing them. So conformity towards adverse norms is something human beings clearly have and demonstrate. And, you know, we demonstrate in our day-to-day -day lives all the time because it's really hard not to in some ways, in some contexts and places. It's like swimming upstream. We're a social species and we want to get along with the people around us. And I know it doesn't like always seem like that, but like <laughs> that's at the very least a major part of human motivations that are sometimes contradictory. That's one of the big ones. And it can be directed towards norms that are either good or bad talking about nationalist propaganda delivered to children. I think that's one of the closest things to brainwashing that you can actually do. Like the sheeple critics would say like, oh, people are brainwashed by the mainstream media. And I think the mainstream media definitely like misrepresents things and creates biases in people. But I don't think they have the ability to just straight up brainwash people into thinking things that aren't true, unless there's already like a major pattern of that untrue thing being accepted for other reasons. Like it was like taught to every child in the country for generations. And it's a beloved mythology about their own history and that kind of thing. The interactions with institutions, I think, is exactly what the sheeple argument is missing in most instances. And I think it's actually sort of a microcosm of one of the big intellectual problems within politics is that the sheeple narrative, what it does in effect is it says that there's this great social problem that's caused by all of these individuals, all of these individuals being thoughtless, all of these individuals being undiscerning, being indoctrinated and conditioned, thoughtless, you know, mindless and so on. So the problem is in all these individuals rather than institutions. Even if the person who uses the sheeple's narrative is built on the idea that these institutions are distorting, which they often are, 
ultimately where the rubber hits the road to the anti-sheeple extremist is these individual sheeple, these people around who are not good enough, who aren't discerning enough, who aren't smart enough, who can't take a step back and see things as it really is. But if you bring in that sort of institutional analysis and say, like, where is the source of power in this? Who is casting power on who and who actually has agency in this? You can make a lot more specific critiques that are more meaningful. Like, for example, we can talk about the ways in which corporate news coverage is distorted by the lack of independence of the journalists on staff, so, you know, subservience to advertisers and so on, or the way that the headlineification of news creates distortions and so on. You can get more specific if you start looking at the institutions of it. I see this as a, a major problem that extends just beyond the sheeple thing too, is so often at the time people are blaming, like people tend to feel this way or people tend to think this thing as like the source of problems rather than actually looking for the power structures, the structural bases that prolong and put out the things that people don't like. So for friends in the conspiracy community focused on, you know, taking the blinders off of sheeple, I think it's really important that we stay focused on the institutional perspective, because also ultimately these conspiracy theories exist in our consciousness, exist in public consciousness to make up for information absence. The place that gives them space, the dank, wet place where conspiracy theory grows like fungus is information war geopolitical struggles over truth. So ultimately, conspiracy theory is sort of a shadow cast by hierarchy and hierarchical society. And the way that we can address conspiracy theory and disinformation best is by making a dependable society where people can have access to the information that they want to, where they can trust institutions. We currently exist in a society where the only way that most people can interact with it and affect the direction of it is going to their job where they have to do what their boss says and voting once every four years. Or like maybe taking on the extra job of like volunteering for a political campaign or something if you're like really ambitious or doing other activism. It creates distrust because if you don't have the ability to actually have a say in anything or have an effect on how things are run in your life and like the main parts of your life, the politics of your country or the workplace, then there's good reasons not to trust them, especially when they keep lying to us about things. Sometimes people can fill in those gaps with things that could potentially be even more dangerous. Yeah, I just really agree that the massive gap, that hierarchy in society, that distance between the top and the bottom and the information gap and the power gap between the top and the bottom is what creates this tendency towards like mythologizing and conspiracies. People. They're just living normal lives They're just trying to get by They just wanna be happy Cause believe it or not, sheeple are just like you and me Sheeple is filmed in front of a live studio audience Wolfred, next time you shear yourself in the shower, can you clean the drain? It's disgusting picking all this wool out of there. Hey, can we not make me a sacrificial lamb? Sheep are proven to have a lot of personality. <laughs> well, I thought sheep were supposed to be a domesticated animal. Come on, Brad. Live a little. Don't you know we're descended from wild sheep? It's only natural. Well, I just don't want to lock horns about this every single time. So can you please be a bit more respectful of your roommates? 
is this a bad time to mention I've invited 500 people to come to our house tonight for a big party? <laughs> I sent out the invitations and 100% of people said that they're coming. To follow any direction. Wilfred, look at my face. I know you can recognize my face over time. I know you can tell what emotions I'm feeling. So explain to me why when this face tells you no parties before big tests, that's so hard for you to understand. You're clearly not acting like a sheep right now. I'm not acting like a sheep. You're not acting like a sheep. No free thought at all. I'm going to go to bed early. Dum, dum, dum. Studying hard. Life isn't about having personality. I don't have any wool to trim. So, see you at the party tonight? No, you won't. In fact, you'll never see me again because I'm giving up being your roommate. But our, our, our lovable dynamic... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sometimes the lovable dynamic gets pushed too far, and that's what happened today. Will Wolfred and Brad patch up their rocky relationship and use their cloven hooves to climb higher with great balance? Will Wolfred respect Brad's boundaries? And are they really going to move out? next time on Sheeple. Cause believe it or not, Sheeple are just like you and me. If we're looking around for the mindless consumer drones, if we're at the mall and we're seeing all these normies, these NPCs, these non-player characters going about their mindless business, if you want to look for that, you can see it in the world. You can project that in the world and you can feel like, oh, I'm better than it. And I sort of get the appeal of that. But I think if we want to be critics of the sheeple, the place where people really put on their woolly overcoat and they really start doing what they're told and they really stop questioning things, it's when they're at work. It's when they're getting paid and it's when they're under the authority of someone else. Have you ever tried to like talk to someone at work as if they aren't at work? It doesn't work. They've got this little boss on their shoulder telling them what to do. I think that's the real story of conformity. More than sheeple, I find worker ant to be a better metaphor. Brings in the hierarchy of the workplace through the word worker, which I kind of like. Also isn't disparaging to the noble sheep. Absolutely. And it's not disparaging to the noble sheep, which is front and center in my mind at all times. I thought we could go without saying it. Maybe you're less committed to protecting sheep than I am. I'm not sure. <laughs> wow. But yeah, I mean, even to defend the lowly worker ant, it doesn't have a full functioning brain like a brilliant Einsteinian sheep does. It functions as part of a super organism, like an anthill works all together as a group. They have specializations within that, and they're mindless in their specializations. And from what we can tell, they're pretty individually directed. They're pretty simple units of consciousness when you're talking about an individual ant. I know this wasn't your intention, but like transferring over the sheeple thing to people in workplaces, it's like people aren't being mindless drones at work because of a personal failing. They're doing it because our society is set up that if you don't work, you won't have enough money to survive. Like you have to, it's mandatory. So it's just, yeah, it, important to mention that. And I think the other thing that like adds to what you're saying is that if we look at like the biggest institutional causes of adverse effects in our society like wars and corporate malfeasance, externalities, rent-seeking, corporate monopolies. Behind all of these institutions are armies of workers who are being paid to participate in these small compartmentalized roles, a cog in the system or whatever. They're not doing this because they're brainwashed. They're doing it because they need a job and because the structure of the system obfuscates what you're participating in. 
even something as simple as being a teller at a bank. And it's like most of the things the bank does is okay, but what are they investing in? Like what weapons manufacturers use that bank to store their money? We all play these tiny slivers of roles in these bad things through our conformity to the labor system that is absolutely demanded of us by the structure of society. So if some of these issues that the people who are critics of sheeple are drawing attention to are real and the place that they're most expressed in our society is people who are on the bottom half of command and control relationships for the provision of basic need, I think it can be a really clarifying lens. And with any context where we want to attack someone for being a sheeple, no matter what reason it is, if they're the sheeple, then who's the shepherd? Who is the guiding staff? Bill Gates. Who's... <laughs> I think what you'll find through a deep analysis of these things is that on any individual case, there is no one almighty shepherd making everyone listen to the same music and believe the same political platform. It's thousands and thousands of tiny micro shepherds, and it's set up in a systemic sort of conspiracy where incentives are laid out for people that create pressure on individuals to make choices which are less moral for the purposes of either self-preservation or advancing oneself in the world. So it's not that we're mindless. It's actually that we're trapped by our mindfulness into doing things that we shouldn't do because the incentives are set up in such a way. I think that's the real big enemy here when it comes to obedience and compliance. Institutions that set up incentives. Welcome back to Sheeple Science, where we show the science behind why people are sheeple. So this is a really famous study amongst the anti-sheeple crowd. And for good reason, it's really interesting. The Stanford Prison Experiment, something I remember seeing cited all over the internet back in the day when it came to people's capacity to, if given power, abuse that power. Yeah, not even capacity, but like they will. It's just what happens. That's the way that it was presented back in the day was that this is proof that people inherently in positions of power will always become corrupted by it. But the study doesn't prove that. Even Zimbardo, Phil Zimbardo, the guy who put on the study in 1971, he says that it's more of a demonstration than an experiment because there's no neutral control group. There's scientific standards of like a very rigorous, hard study that aren't shown, even by his own admission. And the actual data, only a third of the prison guards exhibited what he called genuine sadism, like enjoying inflicting pain on the prisoners. So I'll tell you the basic story of what happened at the Stanford Prison Experiment. Phil Zimbardo places an ad in the newspaper saying, hey, do you want to participate in an experiment about prison life? Come and sign up. He tried to filter out people who suffer from mental illness and stuff like that and just find people who are normal and neutral by his standards in the 70s. It ended up being mostly middle-class white men, a lot of which were actually involved with left-wing activism in the 70s. So from that newspaper ad, Zimbardo picked 24 participants, 12 guards, and 12 prisoners. And himself and his research assistant, who played the role of warden, he played the role of prison administrator, gave the prison guards the direction to try to alienate the prisoners, only call them by their numbers and not their names, and basically psychologically alienate them and exert power over them. So critics of the way that the prison experiment is talked about point out that if he's directing the guards to do certain things, it's not discovering this latent inherent tendency toward abuse. 
But I think people who would defend the prison experiment against those critics would point out that for whatever reason, these prison guards gave themselves permission to violate their own ethics at the direction of a commanding officer. And that for the most part, it seems that they didn't think twice about it. Yeah. Obedience to authority, it seems like, is a much stronger conclusion than put someone in power and they will abuse it. They weren't even in the position of ultimate power there. There was someone above them instructing them actively during the process even to be more cruel. Yeah, there's an anecdote from someone who participated who was sort of like a critic of the experiment later on and saying that he felt the way that it was interpreted and represented by Zimbardo was incorrect. He said that he felt bad for the prisoners and he wanted to share the joints that he brought with the prisoners, but he was like encouraged by the warden to be tougher and didn't do that. And there's also an interesting psychological study in 2007 where they placed two variations of a newspaper ad, one based on the Stanford prison experiment and one which didn't mention prisons, and then did psychological testing of the people who responded to it and found that there was like less authoritarian, less narcissistic. There's like a variety of negative sort of authoritarian features that seem to be more present amongst the people who responded to the ad which mentions prisons, which is like another distortion of this data here. Part of the reason it's got such a piece in the popular imagination is because it's a really compelling story and it makes a lot of sense. Zimbardo said that the guards didn't really have a sense of like guard identity until the prisoners had a sense of identity and rallied together, which made the guards better organized, trying to suppress them (laughs) and trying to make them obedient and get them to submit. Oh yeah, another interesting is like the prisoners stayed in prison overnight and they actually messed with their sleep. But the guards would get to go home at night and have like regular lives outside of the experiment while they're getting paid the same. There's anecdotes from Zimbardo and his assistant that they put bags over people's heads one time because they wanted to move them from one room to another. They didn't want to remind them that they're inside a prison. So they put bags over their heads. And they said afterwards, like, once we put bags over their heads once, it just sort of became normal. We started putting bags over their heads all the time for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, And Zimbardo talks that he started walking around around the experiment with his arms behind his back like a military general inspecting his troops. So it's like, it's not a rigorous scientific study. It doesn't like scientifically say that this is an inherent capacity of people. It tells a story, but it's not like completely without merit. Like if you look at all of the study around this, Zimbardo isn't totally wrong to talk about this tendency or this potentiality within people and that people when given direction and who give themselves permission can do horrible things that they wouldn't do in their regular lives. And sometimes people self-select for authoritarian roles. So it's a fascinating story and all the details and turns and ups and downs in it. It's an example of like how through various processes, starting with how they worded the advert, the instructions they were given beforehand, and then the continued nudging during the experiment, people can get sucked into extremely abusive authoritarian roles where like slowly in frog boiling water type scenario, they'll do more and more extreme things until they are doing horrible things they never imagined that they would be doing. And that was another episode of Sheeple Science. Thanks for tuning in. Sheeple has recently been added to the dictionary. They cite an origin for it. The first demonstrable instance of the word sheeple, it's this 1945 musical column, and the guy says, people, or as I spell it, sheeple, will stand for anything these days.
So we cracked open the JSTOR article. If you're an independent researcher, like we are, during coronavirus, they'll let you read 100 papers a month, which is kind of cool. It's usually only like three. And did some considerable interpretive work to try to like turn 1945 English writing into like figuring out what they were complaining about, what people were sheeple for. And it's so funny what it is. Like, it's so funny what the first recorded instance of sheeple is actually doing. It's complaining that people are sheeple these days because the BBC won't fire someone who (laughs) is speaking in an English accent that uses too much of the R sound instead of dropping it like governor. It's <laughs> they're, they're saying governor on BBC. And it's like, that's not proper what, what? British English. They need to get fired. But the sheeple just accept it. So if your origin of sheeple bingo card has aristocratic language, cancel culture, hard R's, and a musical column, congratulations, you can collect your prize. I couldn't believe it. It's so funny. Like a person who covers musical events in the paper and they're complaining that the BBC had too much R sounds at the end of words and it doesn't sound proper and that the person who does it needs to be fired. As far as we can tell, this is the first known sheeple. There is a disputed claim that we found actually on Rational Wiki. On their page on sheeple, someone wrote in there that there is an earlier use of the term in the E.C. Seeger Popeye the Sailor Man Sunday comic strip. In the mid-1930s, he was marooned on an island with an ineffective king who issued bizarre commands, and the people would blindly follow them, and Popeye began calling them sheeple. Now, we've been unable to confirm whether this is true, because these aren't available online, and the complete E.C. Seeger Popeye is a lot of stuff to go through. And it's during the (laughs) pandemic, coronavirus, we found the only instance of this collection is actually in a neighboring city's library. And don't get us wrong, we'll do anything to research for the podcast. We're happy to drive over there, but it's a pandemic. So we've emailed the research librarian, but they haven't yet found this specific thing. And, And admittedly, it's a hard thing to ask for, for them to go through, you know, four volumes of Popeye looking for a specific word usage. It's probably gonna have to wait until after the pandemic. And So we're sorry that we weren't able to verify that this time, you know, Wrong Boys Detective Agency is going to have to take the L on this one. If anyone out there happens to own the complete E.C. Seeger Popeye from the mid-1930s, check it out. And if you find the word sheeple, let us know. You need to get the true origin. Yeah, we need to get to the bottom of this. I mean, we need to understand what it is that sheeple are and where they come from. Because otherwise, let's be honest, we're just going to be mindlessly going with what the crowd says is the origin of sheeple instead of digging for ourselves and doing our own research. Would I prefer it if the origin of sheeple was referring to people following the dictates of an authority figure and not whatever that other (laughs) bizarre thing is? Yes, I would prefer that if we could say sheeple started with a critique of listening to authorities like kings, but we just don't know yet. More research needs to be done. And now it's time for the science of sheeple. Now this segment of sheeple science is about the Milgram experiments on obedience to authority figures that were conducted by Yale University and Stanley Milgram in the 1960s. Basically, the experiment is designed to tell, will someone continue to administer increasingly dangerous and painful electric shocks if they're instructed to by an authority figure. The test subjects were told that it was an experiment on how much of a shock people can take, and that they were just there to assist administering these shocks. 
so there's the authority figure there instructing them like turn it up and administer another shock and then there's like hearing screams of pain and then like on the dial it says like lethal and they're like turn it up and administer another shock and then if they're like no i don't want to they have like four prods of like you must continue the experiment requires it And what they found is that in the first set of experiments, 65% of people administered the final massive 450 volt shock. Most subjects were uncomfortable doing so, displaying varying degrees of tension, stress, not wanting to do it, but 65% went along with it. Some of the criticisms of the experiment, similar to the Stanford prison experiment one, are selection bias and the initial recruiting of people for the experiment. For example, Joseph DeMau, a participant, withdrew from the experiment early on in the process because he was suspicious, basically, that this is an experiment and they're trying to like make me do this thing that I don't want to do. So like the extent to which people actually didn't know what was going on is questioned. And that in 2012, an Australian psychologist investigated Milgram's data and writings and found that only half of the people who undertook the experiment fully believed it was real. And of those, 66% disobeyed the experimenter. So wait, when you filter around all the data with all the selection and everything, you end up with one third of people inflict pain on people when they think it might be fatal in that context who believed it was real. Yeah, according to this reinterpretation of the data, there have been some replications that did find similar numbers to the original 65% of people will go along with it number. Somewhere between 35 and 65% of people will administer what they believe to be a potentially lethal shock at the direct insistence and imploring of an authority who keeps telling them to do it despite them expressing discomfort. Yeah, it's interesting because it might even be the case that people are less trusting of experimental scientists than they are of military leaders, for example. Oh, yeah. Or politicians or demagogues. You know what I mean? Like, we could get a, a suppressed data in the opposite way. It feels to me like its value is sort of mythological and interpretive. I don't know. These criticisms sound pretty valid to me in terms of, like, how definitively it's showing what it claims to show. Even if, you know, the reinterpretation's true and it's only 30% of people will go, like, there's something real to be gleaned from this. Trusting authorities is a useful thing to do in a lot of instances. We need to delegate brain power to the social structure. You can't think through everything on your own, but like we should be wary of that and like question it. Like the whole thing was designed in order to see how did Nazi Germany happen? Like, how did people go along with these orders? And can we replicate that in this experiment? And what they, you know, claim is oh, we did replicate it. All these people went along with it. And like, I'm inclined to feel like I think maybe the results are overstated, but that, yeah, that is kind of how it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're dealing with a, oh, we're theoretically worried there might be something really bad that could happen. <laughs> through people following orders. That's material. Like We can take that in as hard evidence as well. Because the way that these things work in the real world, if we find people with more like authoritarian traits respond to newspaper ads about participating in a prison experiment, then it stands to reason that more people respond to newspaper ads for prison guards. And there's a million different ways the interconnected network of systems in our society select 
the people who are in roles to make sure that it's the right small amount of the test group, the one third of the small group who believe they were actually electrocuting people. The system is set up to pull those people into those positions and push out people who aren't ready to do that. Sheeple, they're just living normal lives. They're just trying to get by. They just want to be happy. Cause believe it or not, sheeple are just like you and me. Sheeple is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Now, Wilfred, I need you to remember what I said, okay? This is my big night. My human boss is coming over for dinner. I need you to keep your personality under wraps. Because if you do something bizarre, I'm not going to get my big promotion. Brad, I want to get up to some of my trademark antics, okay? You work in a lamb chop restaurant. You know, lamb is a name for a sheep that's less than a year old. You're betraying all sheeple. Look, those lambs are going to be slaughtered whether I supervise the wait staff at the restaurant or not, okay? Now, this is a big deal for me. And I mean, technically, they're not even real sheeple. But Brad, sheeple's a legal classification, not a biological difference. All sheep are sheeple. Just because we're free doesn't mean we should sell out our fellow sheep. Look... I agree that all sheep are sheeple, and that's a political fight I'm happy to sign a petition about or vote for a candidate for. I would love if our restaurant served a different type of meat from a different type of child, but that's not the world we live in, and things are how they are. If I get this promotion, I'll be in a better place to reform the lamb chop restaurant from the inside. Right? And you owe me one anyway for the spaghetti incident, so please. Okay, you want to use the spaghetti incident? Be my guest. I will be your workaround today. Just put my personality away and be on my best behavior, follow you mindlessly, help you get that big promotion, no wisecracks, no zany antics. Exactly the roommate that a boss would like to meet. Oh, oh, that's the doorbell. Okay, okay, okay. Don't embarrass me. Wilfred, this is my illustrious and very wealthy and powerful boss, Mr. People M. Humansworth. Hello. Welcome to our home. Oh, yum. Your roommate has a few tasty lamb chops on him. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll always respect the uh, legal construct and barrier of what defines a sheeple, except in the realm of tasteful yet offbeat humor. (laughs) Yes, sir. After all, there is a reason that you're above them. And they're below you. Very funny and so true. Our position above those other sheep is just, and your position as my boss is just because you're such a hard worker. (laughs) Isn't that right, Wilfred? Tell them what you were telling me about how you believe that. You were just saying. Yeah, I was just saying that hard work, it kept the two of us from being turned into lamb chops when we were an under one-year-old baby. And, you know, lazy babies, they need to carry their weight or they should be served on a plate, I always say. (laughs) Yeah, that's Wolfred. He's even more into this hierarchical system than I am. Even more into the system than you? That's very impressive. Say, Wolfred, are you looking for a high-level job at the lamb restaurant? We're looking for someone like him, only more so. No, no, Wilfred, he doesn't have any experience, and he hasn't been working his way up the chain like some other more respectable and studious sheeple. Besides, Wilfred doesn't even want this job. He's a free spirit. 
Wolfred, now I know the sheeple in this society are not always given a fair break. You've probably had some struggle just to keep the wool on your back and a stable over your head. My Human's Worth Humane Society for the Harvesting of Young Meat is one of the most profitable corporations in Rongtropolis. This could be your golden ticket. Out of the farm and into the big city. We'll keep all the bloodshed in other rooms, and we'll just get you on paper stuff. That way you wouldn't have to think about it. Are you in, Wolfred? What do you say? Star wipe to Wolfred sitting in a top hat and monocle on a throne of baby skulls. Ah, <laughs> uh, Wolfred, you took my big promotion. What does sitting on this throne of baby skulls do to help change the restaurant from the inside? When I first got in this job, I was idealistic like you, but man, it wears down on you. It's become about something else. Something else. Come on, Wolfred. It's your first day. Oh. Imagine having a roommate like that. Welcome back to Sheeple Science, where we show the science behind why people are sheeple. And on this final installment of Sheeple Science, the third wave experiment, which was done by a high school teacher on grade 10 students in the 1970s. Now, I should say also this isn't the most rigorous type of science. It is more like the Stanford Prison Experiment in that it's a demonstration. And it's something where, like the Stanford Prison Experiment, the experimenter sort of became part of the experiment as it went along. And the, the basic idea here is that the grade 10 teacher, Ron Jones, he was teaching kids about the Holocaust, about the Nazis, and they were sort of incredulous about the idea that people would go along with it. So he was like a sort of dramatic guy. And what he thought that he would do is, for a day, as a joke, but also as like a teaching exercise, is he would try to be like a more authoritarian teacher. And right on the board, discipline is strength focus them on their posture and focus them on giving crisp answers to questions and stuff like that and creating this like disciplinarian authoritarian atmosphere so on the second day when the kids came in they were sitting up really straight like they were the first day and he out of according to his own telling you know a sense of curiosity pushed it further and not only continued up the authoritarian act but taught them a special hand signal which was like this little curved hand that represented a wave which he called the third wave the idea being that every third wave at sea is stronger than the other waves. He also tells the kids they need to recruit for it and that they need to spread the word about like how good posture is. Some of them are told that they need to like design a logo for it. Some of them are told to recruit other people. Some of them are told to be surveillers to make sure that no one's plotting revolution. Oh, and the thing, he also tells the kids at the beginning, if you're a good, faithful, authoritarian subject, you'll get an A. If you have an unsuccessful revolution, you'll get an F. But if you have a successful revolution, you'll also get an A. So this idea is floating around with the kids at this point, that they're all being these faithful authoritarian subjects. When you say revolution... Like a revolution against Ron Jones, the teacher. Okay, okay. Someone said that someone had brought in a cap gun to school and was going to do like a mock assassination at one point, but he was ratted out by his friends. There's all this interesting sort of mythology around this case. And like when I first heard about it, I was sort of like suspicious. It just seemed like a tall tale made up by someone. But it appears that this actually really happened and that he actually ended up losing his job over it because... 
they were able to sincerely recruit kids from other classrooms. And the way that it ended on the fifth day, after a lot of these kids were started taking it very seriously, and he told the kids that, you know, it wasn't just a classroom experiment, that it was actually a national thing, that there's going to be a presidential candidate, so they should come to a place where there's going to be media later. They're going to be launching a political campaign. Only members of the third wave should come. And what happened to that spot is when they expected to see this presidential candidate, they were shown a blank screen, and then they were shown footage of the Nuremberg rallies footage of Adolf Hitler, and he was like, we all would have fallen for it. We're no better or worse than the Nazis. And that was the point that he was trying to make. And he was fired for it, lost his job at, <laughs> at that school. This was like in the late 60s. He first wrote about it in the 70s and the early 80s. They made an after-school special about it. And then there's like tons of dramatizations of it. The most recent one is like on German Netflix. And The Wave, for some reason, is like a left-wing group instead of a right-wing group. So the way this has been interpreted by culture, I don't fully understand. And I haven't had a chance to watch any of the documentaries or whatever. But it's a pretty famous story that is just heard of researching for this episode I didn't know about. He writes in his short story, it's like reflection on it, his essay. He noticed that the kids who were lonely or the kids that were like a little bit less sophisticated started taking it really seriously. And he sort of felt bad about that. People were getting a sense of meaning from it to the point where they would have been part of the launch of a presidential campaign, they thought. And I think at the end of the process, it was like 200 kids. I can understand why he lost his job because <laughs> as like interesting and demonstrative that is of how these kinds of things can happen, running psychological experiments on the kids <laughs> in your class as a way to demonstrate things to them, probably not the best teaching practices. But then on the other hand, like <laughs> he taught a lot of people, all these after school specials, learning about it now, I feel like he taught me a little bit. It's hard to get around the fact that if you're a grade 10 teacher, you're like in the stewardship of minds that require your leadership and expertise. They need to be able to trust that you're going to guide them correctly. So running psychological experiments on them, it's a good that it's a norm that that is stigmatized. But this is a fascinating story, a fascinating piece of social mythology, and I think it does demonstrate that we have social proclivities towards participating in group actions and to following leaders, and that if you're following a leader who doesn't really have any sort of like political substance other than to say, well, we're going to sit up straight and be very disciplined as like a self-help thing, the kids feel like, oh, I'm breathing better, I feel better sitting up straight, maybe this isn't so bad. And then, you know, at the end of the experiment, he turns on the TV and it's like, this has all been in the name of being a Nazi. Nazi sat up straight too. No, but it does like show the flimsiness that things like this can be built on, like basic good advice like that, like sitting up straight, you'll feel better. That reminds me, I saw in the comments on fucking YouTube, there's like this recent documentary where they interviewed Ron Jones and a bunch of his students who were there. It's called The Lesson Plan. But on the comments on YouTube there, someone was like, I wish that there was a wave type movement for me to join because my life is so meaningless or something like that. And then someone commented and responded, check out Jordan Peterson. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that is just because I was thinking of Jordan Peterson, obviously, when you were just talking about like basic self-help advice stuff and just the sincere need. The teacher noticed that he was meeting for some of the kids that really got them involved, being sincerely expressed in the YouTube comments and then sincerely redirected towards this public figure who arguably is participating in something like this in a sort of broader way in society. Yeah, it's like hard to think of a better sort of demonstration out in the wild. 
I think what the third wave and the Stanford prison experiment really showed that I keep on thinking about while reading about this, there's a part in the experiment where people are given permission to play act as roles. An authority figure giving people permission to fully invest in being an authoritarian subject or fully invest in being a prison guard or whatever else. There's this spark of almost like role playing. It like reminds me of improv or like doing sketches or something like that, where it's like, for the sake of this, act as if X. And then people playing along with that is able to spiral later in directions that seem extreme or, or ridiculous. Yeah, um, the like, ironic online Nazi to real online Nazi spiral. I think a similar process happened for a lot of people where it's like, ah, it's just memes, bro. It's just memes. And then it's like, oh, we're just storming the Capitol, bro. Just memes. And also in both cases, you have the experimenter taking on the role of a temporary dictator by the hierarchical arrangement they're in, becoming either a prison warden or a dictator, and then starting to act it out themselves for the sake of seeing how people react to it. In both of these cases, you have regular people like adult men who start play acting a role, and then they have that like Smeagol moment where they can feel the power of it in both of these demonstrations, neither more than a week. But in both cases, they tell the story like they should have stopped a little bit sooner, but they got sort of carried away. And that's all for this episode of Sheeple Science. And now back to our show. When I think about some of the science we've explored in this episode about conformity and like historical and contemporary examples of how conforming to adverse norms can be really bad in society, but also the idea that most people are sheeple used to mislead people, like with that natural news article or just with like conspiracy theories in general, talking about the capital riots, there's a real connection there between that and natural news. And just thinking about all of this, it strikes me that what is actually needed here isn't demonization of our tendency to want to get along with the people that we're with. That's a pro-social tendency. And it's like part of being human is that we're a group species and are also fallible as individuals. And so coming together in groups to think together and trusting the others around you to think as well, that level of conformity and Going along with the group sometimes is, yes, sometimes really dangerous, but also like really beneficial and like essential to who we are as human beings. And it's not that like contrarianism should always be crushed. There needs to be a dialectical, complementary relationship between the two. There's both sides here. But I feel like the sheeple narrative gives conformity and pro social rationality a bad rap. Group rationality does work pretty well a lot of the time, despite all of its faults. Absolutely. Individuality is a massively important, valuable, and beautiful thing of people expressing and developing their own capacity for critical free thought, their own ability to challenge established dogmas. It's a beautiful thing that people are different and have their own individual mental awareness. It's massively valuable things. Another valuable thing is the way that we can dynamically form ourselves as a type of superorganism that extends beyond the consciousness of any individual. Networks of trust and specialization can form human social structures that are capable of 
doing things beyond the scale of individuals. And these superhuman communities can go out in the world and do things beyond our own scale. And that is also a beautiful and important aspect of what makes us human, what makes us a social species. That power can be used for both good and evil, and I think it is. And we should try to use it for good. And I want to both say, like, you shouldn't be a mindless worker drone ant for society. But at the same time, there's also something valuable to participating in group specialization trust networks in a limited and recallable sense within the structures of human social society. Once we acknowledge this tendency towards conformity or however you want to think about it can result in these either good or bad effects, humans naturally form groups and that it's part of who we are and that it's... Unless you're a sigma male. (laughs) Right, of course. But that it's kind of beautiful in a way that we have this ability to have these larger effects in groups. Then what makes sense to do is make a society where that's taken into account and the way that these large groups function isn't by unaccountable bosses or political leaders at the top, but systems that spread power, democratic say, and participatory right to make those kinds of decisions as broadly as possible, so that when decisions are being made about to what ends these larger effects in groups should be directed, those decisions come about from a process everyone can participate in equally. And that will also solve some of the paranoia issues and stuff that come up from having that massive power and information spread. People might be less apt to be super concerned or calling each other sheeple. Participating in groups will be seen as a good thing. If it is a good thing, I think people would mostly see it that way. Yeah, I think it's got to be possible to thread the needle and create a democratic, egalitarian system that provides according to people's basic needs and creates frameworks for collective action through networks of trust and expertise, democratic engagement, which gives people universal access to participation participation proportionate to their desire and to what is fair, and also gives people fuller expressions of their individuality in doing so, and in fact, makes use of our differences, makes use of the generative differences between people as a means to push political frontiers of freedom and decency forward, but also find a book for every reader and a reader for every book in a societal sense. I think it could happen. I'm not sure it'll happen, but I I think we could do it. This has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. This is the Sheeple episode. Thanks to everyone who is a donor on Patreon and donates to the show either monthly or yearly. If you do the yearly donation, you get a cut on the total cost. Get access to the whole archive, Discord, including the book club, still working through Graeber's debt right now on alternating weeks, doing a variety of readings, one off at a time. It helps make the show happen. Yeah. And in terms of the general population of all people in the world, very few people donate to our show. So it's not a sheeple thing to do. I'm not going to be another mindless sheeple buying frozen coffee drinks from a major retailer. No, I'm going to give my $6, my sweet six. Instead of sweet caramel, I'm going to make it sweet seriously wrong and get access to that Discord and those bonus episodes. Many people are saying this. But many, many, many more people are not. And that's what makes the first group special. Absolutely. And that's Sheeple. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for this special next time after the final theme song. There's always a next time after the theme song. One last sketch, just to let you know. I'm wrong, you're wrong, seriously wrong. I'm wrong, you're wrong, seriously wrong. I'm wrong, you're wrong, you're seriously wrong. 
Next time on Seriously Wrong, Wrongtropolis Nights. Illustrious, very wealthy, and powerful boss, Mr. People M. Humansworth, speaks his last words. Mr. Humansworth, you've had an illustrious career. You've taken the company that you inherited from your father from the most successful lamb chop restaurant in the world to the most successful vegan restaurant in the world. And you did it all without costing the shareholders a single penny. Your entire life, you've refused to reveal the secret of how you did it. And the doctors are telling us your time is running extremely short. And people are just so hopeful that now, finally, on your deathbed, when there's nothing left for you to lose, nobody can outcompete you anymore, it's over for you. Will you reveal how you did it? How are you so successful? I'll tell you this much. The best choice I ever made in business was when I opened door to my heart just big enough for a very special sheep person to clop right in. Wolfred was his name. Uh, passed away. Sheep only live about 12 years. And it was him. He had an incredible personality on that lamb. Incredible personality. You know, he was criticized at the time. People said that it's wrong for a sheep to work in a lamb chop factory. But getting to know him, learning to love him as a person, as a complex intelligence, it was the impetus for the entire change from within. First in me, I had to change within, and then within society. My institution that I control had to change from within. Wolfred, the sheep with the big personality who won over his human's boss's heart and changed the world for the better from the inside. It's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Well, I'm glad I shared it with you here before I die. But I can definitely feel it's coming along now. So. Oh yeah, those machines gonna make a... Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Does it hurt? It's fine, actually. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm glad it's painless for you because it really does seem intimate. They got me jacked up full of something. But so lucid still. Wow, the wonders of modern medicine. Yeah, I don't want to be rude, but can you go? It's sort of my death. And Oh, okay, sure, yeah. Happy to do the interview, but I didn't realize you wanted to watch me die. Kind of thought we'd get that for the show, but... No, I don't think so. This is last words, not... Really? I mean, come on, that's another machine joining in now. Please. <sighs> All right, well, you're a good kid. Yeah, you can watch me die. Wow, kind and generous, taking the high road right until his last moment. Truly, one of the greatest humans our society has ever produced. Cause believe it or not, sheeple are just like you and me.